0: You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. Actors Daniel Dae Kim and Daniel Wu have been using their platforms to spread awareness about the rise in attacks against the Asian American community. They joined the Post to discuss growing fears in the community, calls for action, and their own advocacy. Let's listen.
1: Good afternoon and welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Michelle Yehe Lee, national reporter at the Washington Post. Joining me today are actors and producers Daniel Day Kim and Daniel Wu. They've been very vocal about the rise in anti-Asian violence and racism during the pandemic. And we're here to talk about that today. So welcome to both of you and thank you so much for being here.
2: Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us.
1: Daniel Day Kim, let's start with you. You and Daniel Wu have been using your platforms to amplify this issue are you seeing the level of attention that you have been hoping for?
2: Uh, I think we're off. We're in a better place than we've ever been. Uh, you know, those of us in the community have known that these attacks have accelerated uh, for over a year now, and though there has always been, uh, you know, hate crimes in America, none like we've seen over the past twelve months, uh, and so. Daniel and I, I think I can speak for Daniel here. We're both very encouraged that right now there's a dialogue that there's like there's never been. And the fact that we're here talking to you about this today at the Washington Post means that uh, this issue is becoming amplified and becoming something more of a national
1: one. Absolutely. Well, we're, we're eager to dive into this. Um, you know, as you mentioned, for weeks there have been instances of Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders being physically attacked, not just verbally abused, but also physically. They're being Pushed to the ground, they have been stabbed in the face, um, robbed. I mean, it's been pretty gruesome to see. Uh, Daniel Wu, can you speak to how this has resonated within the Asian American and Pacific Islander communities and the growing fear among the community?
3: Yeah, um, you know, the, I think the entire community is in a state of fear. Um, since March, you know, these attacks have been going on and in increasing in volume. And especially it kind of culminated around the Chinese New Year, which is a time where most people are happy and celebrating out on the streets doing uh, Chinese New Year festivities, and they were not able to do that this year. A lot of people stayed in, stayed away. And so, you know, everyone from young kids to elders are afraid to be going out on the streets and, and exposing themselves to these crimes.
1: Yeah, and I think that fear that we've all been discussing publicly and, and interviewing uh, the victims and their families about, um, part of that has really sparked some action. You know, we've seen some progress in that some local law enforcement agencies are ramping up investigations. Um, but, you know, regular citizens, in fact, are even guarding uh, their fellow Asian neighbors' uh Uh, on their yards and actually trying to protect them personally. Um, So I wanted to talk a little bit about solutions. And I'm gonna turn to an audience question here because we've gotten some questions about this. And this one's from Jonathan Lee in New Jersey. And he's asking, in working with the victims and local Asian American community leaders, what have they told you about what they would like to see done? What sort of solutions are they interested in? Uh, Daniel Day Kim, do you want to tell us about what you've been hearing from the community and what potential solutions and progress could look like?
2: Sure. Uh, I think I'd like to top line this answer by saying it is a very nuanced one. It's a very nuanced issue because depending on who you talk to, there are many different approaches that are being recommended. I think one thing that can't be... uh, overemphasized is the importance of community organizations in in each locality. They're the ones who are doing the work on the ground on a daily basis, and they've been working on these issues for a really long time. Uh, And they're the ones that are witnessing uh, these events happening in their backyards. So I think part of the the solution is to really empower those community organizations to do the work that they do, and that means to fund them uh, and, and to volunteer as well. A lot of that is part of the answer. Uh, I think education is a big part of the solution. Uh, I th- there's a lot. There are a lot of people who don't know the history of Asians in America, and that is it, that that essentially whitewashes our existence from this country. Uh, for instance, if you th- if you think about the Chinese Exclusion Act, uh, it was actually the first. Uh, policy of its kind that excluded uh, an entire race from this country and it was in place for almost a hundred years uh, and it, was, it wasn't taken it wasn't officially repealed until the 1960s and so uh, you combine that with things like the largest lynching in America uh, in Cal- in Los Angeles in the 1870s uh, where 18 Chinese people were lynched uh, and they were there were fi- a mob of 500 people who attacked them and not a single one of them served any jail time. Uh, and then you go a hundred years later to 1982 with Vincent Chin uh, where he was murdered because uh, he, he was attacked because people thought he was Japanese when, he's, when he was in reality Chinese at a time when the American auto industry was failing and he was scapegoated. His attackers never served a day, a day of jail time. These are all parts of our history that are widely unknown. Uh, but they speak to the fact that we have been a part of the fabric of america since the 1850s so that's a part of it as well and i think deterrence is a part of it also and that is that is a controversial subject i I recognize Uh, but this idea that hate crimes differ the definition of a hate crime differs from state to state and that is a bit problematic because we don't have a national standard and so what happens in one state will be prosecuted in a completely different way from another. It's a combination of all of those things. Um, but it, it, you know one thing one thing is for sure it is a complex, nuanced issue and one that isn't necessarily solved in a soundbite.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm really glad that you placed this moment in the broader context because you know we're here specifically to uh, because we're prompted by these recent attacks. but, as you mentioned, this is just one part of an ongoing history of violence against our communities um, of people of color broadly, but AAPI communities as well. Um, and I think that context is really important to think about. And that's why I want to zoom out a little bit because as we discussed even before hopping on here, this is not an isolated problem. You know, Under COVID specifically, We've all been uh, seeing all these instances of anti-Asian racism. You know, people are blaming Asian American and Pacific Islander Islander communities for COVID. Uh, There are terms like uh, China flu or the China virus or come flu. We've seen these happen over and over again. So um, can you guys talk about how COVID has reinforced the sentiments that so many Asians Asian-Americans have been facing, which is, you know, this is not just one thing that we've been uh, going through now. It's been a history of this and we're consistently portrayed as a perpetual outsider. Uh, Daniel Wu, I was wondering if you can speak to that.
3: Yeah, I mean, you you hit the nail on the head there that we're because the Asian-American diaspora is so complex and there's so many layers and so many generations have come to America, we're constantly looked at as foreigners, as others, and then thus invisible. Um, and so we really haven't had a place in American society in the fabric, like Daniel was saying earlier. Uh, and also the Asian American diaspora is very, um, is not a monolith, but we're treated as a monolith. There's so many different cultures. There's Southeast Asians, there's East Asians, there's South Asians. Um, all of us come from different cultures, speak different language, but we're all being treated as the same. And I think that is leading up to part of the problem. And when we have some a president that uses words like Kung flu and China virus, and tries to create division um, it affects us on a, on, a, on a daily basis because uh, people hear that rhetoric and then they look at us and they see us as foreigners bringing over this virus and then then becoming a target of the attack and so part of it is is the lack of vi- visibility for asian americans in you know mainstream media in in um, the social fabric and all constantly be treated as as others and i think that's part of the major problem of the, where the xenophobia comes from.
1: Yeah, I want to play. A, oh, sorry. go ahead, go
3: ahead. <laughs> you know, someone once
2: said that we have, you know, uh, a privilege card. Uh, but that, you know, because we are not necessarily African-American or Latinx. Uh, and, and part of that privilege card has been, you know, perpetuated this idea by perpetuated this idea of the model minority myth. But what we've been finding is that in times of stress, that privilege card gets taken away very quickly, and then we're reduced to someone, uh, a group of people who is considered other and not American. Uh, and the fact that there we're not we're not talking about uh, members of the Chinese government, you know, who are being attacked. We're not talking about even uh, people who are Chinese from China. We're talking about, Asian-Americans, we're talking about Chinese-Americans who have no connection to China. And beyond that, we're talking about Asian-Americans who have no connected to no connection to being Chinese. So all it takes is to look vaguely Asian for us to be subject to attacks. And that is incredibly problematic.
1: So you're getting at something that we've been hearing from a lot of our, our readers and viewers, um, you know, Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders across this country feeling exactly the way that you guys are talking about. So I want to play a brief clip for you. Um, Last May, my colleague Tracy Jan reported on the discrimination that AAPIs are facing in the medical profession, including the medical professionals who are treating uh, patients for COVID. Um, Here's internal medicine physician Audrey Sue Cruz in California. Let's take a look. Had a patient who was brand new to me and it was a telephone visit, so um all done via telephone. I have no idea what she looks like, she has no idea what I look like. Towards the end of the visit, um, she started, you know, asking me some questions about myself as a physician. She asked me where I'm from, she asked me where I went to med school, went to college, and all these and all these little things. One of the last questions that she asked was, you know, what's your ethnicity and your nationality? And I told her that I am Asian, I'm Filipino. Her response was, wow, I can't believe what your people did. I usually wouldn't choose to, to see an Asian doctor, but you seem nice. That was what she had told me. And I was just absolutely speechless.
3: Oh, horrible. I've seen worse, you know, frontline workers on their way to work being attacked. You know, they're, they're, they're on the front lines trying to save people. And then at the same time, they're being attacked as, as they're heading to work. It's, it's, it's a sad and tragic situation to come across.
2: And if you think about the physical distance geographically between the Philippines and China, uh, not that <laughs> it's excusable, even if it's someone from China, but it, it shows an extreme lack of awareness of how large Asia is. And as Daniel was referring to, how how uh, diverse the the Asian diaspora is and that we're not even talking about uh, Oceania or you know the Pacific Islands so it's uh it's a really broad brush that people are painting us with
1: yeah and I think you know if you as Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders we've so many of us have been there right being asked where are you really from uh what language do you speak I've been asked before what did you speak before English you know and th- this constant otherizing is, is such it's an undercurrent in our AAPI experience I think and you know does this clip and her experience and the experiences that you're talking about what does that say about um, really the barriers and challenges facing the AAPI community in overcoming um, this sort of treatment that's been so long a part of our existence in the country
3: I mean, I have have an example. My daughter is in a Chinese immersion school and she was doing distance learning and they were singing in music class, uh, this land is your land, this land is made for you and me. And I was standing next to her uh, while she was singing and it's a beautiful song sung by beautiful little children, beautiful voices, but when I'm hearing the lyrics and I'm thinking about what's been happening, I can't help but think this song is not true. This this land is not made for you and me, it's made for uh, a certain group. And then were considered others. And this sort of irony in the in the the paradox and the lyrics of that song of her singing it, a person of color uh, really hit home for me. and it made me sad. I almost you know broke down crying thinking about it. Um, and yeah, it's that is a problem we face. We're constantly looked at as others and foreigners, and we're not looked at as part of the American fabric. and that needs to change. And I think the steps that we're doing now um, are trying to change that. You know, we're. I think we're coming together as a community. I think part of the problem before of the Asian American diaspora is that, as I said earlier, multicultures, multi-languages, and in themselves, we're very disparate. And so this um, situation has brought us together, and I think this is a step in the right direction.
1: Daniel Day Kim, did you want to answer that as well?
3: I I just want
2: to focus on the last thing that Daniel said is and that is that I think the Asian American community has has united in a way behind this that I've never seen before in my lifetime and I think that as a result of that we are in the midst of an inflection point Uh, the real question is now that we have galvanized around a particular issue how are we going to take this momentum not just to stem the tide but to also Improve awareness in such a way that uh, improves our quality of life over the long term. And, you know, I think one of the, the complex things about this is that, um, you know, we can be, there is a tendency in our society to, to kind of uh, uh, be accused of always wanting to take from America, you know, to take that, a, a victim ment- uh, uh, mentality. But this is not that. This is about, Acknowledging our contributions to America. And this is about saying that we are American. So many of us, and Daniel included, we're so tired of having to say we are American. This is, (laughs) we should be beyond that at this point and it's really a, it should be a celebration of of our pride and, and our achievements and our accomplishments and the fact that sure there there are going to always be a group of people who will look to scapegoat others but hopefully the majority of people can come together in in, in a in a moderately sensible way to recognize that Those of us who are Americans pledge allegiance to this country, and we can sing, This land is your land, and this land is my land, and really believe it.
1: Yeah, you know, obviously, I'm Asian American myself, I'm Korean American. Um, Daniel Day Kim, like you, I was also born in Korea and left when I was little. And I, you know, for 1.5 and second generation Americans like the three of us, I think this moment just also kind of sits differently with us because our families have chosen to come here and integrate into America for a reason. You know, they left the lives that they had and they came here and they raised us and uh, to be American. And, um, you know, especially witnessing the attacks against the elderly, knowing that they could be our parents or grandparents who are being treated like that, I think is just extremely traumatizing and also, unfortunately, not that surprising in a way, maybe because of that history that we've been talking about. Um, I was wondering if I could ask both of you what it's been like for you personally as immigrants and children of immigrants to not only witness this, but continue to talk about this over and over again and try to bring this to the consciousness of America. Um, We can start with Daniel Day Kim and then Daniel Wu.
2: Well, as you pointed out, um, we have been vocal on this issue, and to be frank, both Daniel and I are tired <laughs> because uh, we've done a number of interviews, but we also both agree that the cause is bigger than our fatigue. <laughs> the cause is bigger than either of us. Uh, and so it's it's why, you know, I'm, I'm really glad to be working with someone like this, on, uh, like him on this issue, uh, because if if we can get do our part and amplify this issue and get the word out, then we can we can hand the baton to those who are better equipped than we are, uh, the community organizers, the politicians, the district attorneys, uh, and you know every anyone else who wants to use their expertise to help the cause in general. And and so, this is this is what gives me hope, and I, I'm I'm really glad uh, that that we're able to have forums like this just to talk about this issue because it it does become tiresome to have to say over and over again, we are American.
3: I would say that um, the last straw for me was seeing the 91-year-old man being pushed down to the ground in Oakland because my father is 91 years old. And when I saw that video, I couldn't help but think, you know, my father escaped war, civil war, um, all these things to come to America, to have a better life, to... Uh, live the American dream. And that's what he wanted for his kids, for our generation, and to bring us to a better place. But to see that man being pushed down to the ground and think about his story, and think about the struggles that he went through to get here to this country and all that, and to to be wiped out in one push to the ground like that is just terrible for me. And so that's really what pushed me to stand up and make a stand about this because I couldn't help but see my father being pushed to the ground every time I see these videos. Every attack I see, I think about my mother, my grandmother, my father, all these things. And, and, and our, their generation was, when they got here, I think they were thankful to be here. And so they put their heads down, worked hard, and didn't complain. And in some ways, they trained my generation to think that way, too. But I realized that that is not the right path now. Um, we do have to stand up and we can't um, be silent anymore. And that is the greatest thing I learned from these experiences is that as a whole, as the larger Asian American diaspora, if we are united together, we can make a change. And what Daniel is saying is there is hope and I'm seeing it now. And so I'm I'm very hopeful.
1: Yeah, you know, I'm I'm glad you brought up that attack um, because I wanted to ask you about that. Uh, You know, you guys have been very vocal um, about your $25,000 payment that the two of you have offered um, in request for information about that attacker uh, who pushed the 91-year-old Asian man in Oakland, California, and that was in January. Um, you know, the, sus- the suspect, a black man, has been charged, and I bring this up because there's been a lot of discussion around allyship during this moment, how AAPIs have been joining our, you know, black and brown Americans um, to in solidarity, in support of each other, toward racial justice. There's been a lot of conversation around that, um, and specifically about that payment offer that you guys have made. Um, What was the thinking behind uh, making that offer? And what is your response to concerns that the offer ran contrary to the efforts among Asian and Black ac- activists who are trying to work in solid, uh, work together for community-driven solutions toward racial justice rather than prompting increased policing. Um, Daniel, you so Daniel Kim, for- do you want to take that on? Yeah.
2: Yes, thank you for asking that. And I know Daniel Wu has has, has thoughts on this <laughs> subject as well. Um, but I will say that when we, when we first offered the reward, uh, it came out of a place of frustration, heartbreak, and exasperation that these issues were not being talked about in any way, and we are lucky enough to have a platform where people will uh, hear us and listen. And and you know, we all know that money talks. So twenty-five thousand dollars, in order to raise awareness for this issue as well as help find information on the perpetrator of this crime, I think. Uh, they were the primary reasons we offered it. Now, there are a couple things about uh, the black versus Asians part of this. Neither Daniel nor I believe that this is a black against Asian issue or an Asian against black issue. This is an everybody against racism issue. We, there was never an assumption on our part that the perpetrator of this crime was black it was never that was never part of the reward it was whoever the perpetrator was should be brought to justice now there is n- there's no part of daniel or i that wants to send that wants to set uh, any community against one another because i think that's actually antithetical to what we're trying to do i agree with community organizers that it takes everyone to come together to solve this issue and historically and systemically, I think the two communities have been put at odds with one another because very often they're in uh, you know, um, underprivileged communities together in enclosed spaces. And even the idea of the model minority myth is a relativistic term because you're asking, you're a model minority relative to what other minority? So inherent in that myth, is this idea of comparison between minorities and so these are the ways that systemically we had been put at odds with one another but that is not what we are advocating and i really do believe and applaud the efforts of all the community organizers who are trying to bring our communities together because that's what it takes and when we first started talking about this you know we reached out to uh african-american community organizers as well you know we in our first clubhouse conversation we had van jones and w comal bell because we value their input as well because i think we're all in this together i know there's we could talk about this for longer uh, but i know daniel has stuff he would like to say about it as well
3: yeah i mean there's a lot to impact because it's you know visually where we you see a lot of videos that it looks like black youth attacking asian americans but there's also you know, white people are doing it too. Don't forget there's that Michael Lofthouse, the CEO in Monterey, that felt it was okay a single person sitting at a table to berate an entire table of 12 people celebrating a birthday, you know, Asian-American family. Um, that's not okay either. Uh, there's a case of Patrick Mateo recently in, in New York who shoved down uh, a 55-year-old woman to the ground, knocked her out, and he was let go. Um, so, you know, that's not the focus at all. The focus is to just stop the attacks on our community in general. But again, we are also very clearly reaching out to different communities and trying to understand the real root of the problem and how to attack that for the long term as well as the short term. And I think it needs to look, be looked at in, in a greater holistic whole as that as well. And allyship is part of that. and is very important um, that we can't Uh, blame the actions of an individual on entire communities that's very important that's kind of the message that i'm trying to get back to the asian american community because there seems to be you know us versus them mentality and i want to make it very clear to them that these are actions of individuals it's not the actions of of entire races and we have to be clear about that when we're looking to fight against this type of these type of attacks
2: can i add also that you know when 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 we first heard about the criticism for our reward I was a little bit hurt by it, uh, because people were placing assumptions on what we were doing, that we were that that were incorrect. Uh, and what we did intend to do was to raise awareness. And I think we did help spark that awareness. Uh, I think it was a combination of uh, people like Amanda Win and uh, Goldhouse and 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 other organizations at, that also and reporters like Dion Lim and Safan Kim and yourself who are amplifying this issue. That is what we wanted to do, and you know, as a result of that, raised awareness. Now we've raised in the hundreds of thousands of dollars, all to go to the community organizers who are helping on the ground. So, the way I see it, it's really all part of the same effort Uh, and you know i i I really uh i I disagree with those who think that what we did was um uh hurtful more than helpful
1: thank you for that and i appreciate you guys answering that so honestly and and it sounds like you guys have also had some time to process that sort of reaction as well and, and think through it and you know, I do think it sparked a lot of dialogue around exactly what we're trying to talk about, which is the role of allyship, where we stand in connection to each other, um, the Asian American community, really confronting a history of anti-blackness among some in the community and trying to figure out how to talk about it, come to terms with it and how to rectify it and and how we should be moving forward. Um, so in the final minutes that we have, I wanna just take a moment to acknowledge what is happening here which is that you're here with me and we're talking about this and talking about the impact on the API community um, because we know that Asian Americans are underrepresented in media especially Asian American men and the two of you have built your careers to build this platform to be able to speak out on behalf of the API community and that's a big deal and you know Daniel Wu you've written about so So poignantly about the the impact that seeing Bruce Lee on screen has had on you uh, and the, and how formative it's been for you. So briefly, I was wondering um, if Daniel Wu, you can speak to the impact that you're hoping to have for people who don't see enough of Asian Americans on screen, don't see enough Asian American men on screen uh, in this way, and, and what message you're trying to send by the work that you and Daniel Day Kim are doing.
3: Sure. Um, I was actually having this conversation with Andrew Yang the other day because we were talking about how our parents' generation didn't want us to go into entertainment, didn't want us to go into politics because those are, you know, not stable uh, uh, professions and they leave you exposed. But I think that's also leading up to the problem of why we're underrepresented because we're not seen on the public level that much. And so part of what we're doing, you know, Daniel Day Kim and I being in entertainment helps to create that exposure to, to get us more out there. And then, you know, Andrew Yang running for president, now running for mayor of, of of New York. We're seeing Asian Americans now getting into politics, getting into positions where they can affect change in society and not no longer being a bystander and then no longer being invisible and no longer being an other. And I think those are really important steps. I think, you know, part of my career, most of my career 20 years was in Hong Kong. And a lot of people are like, why, why would you come back to America to essentially start over again? And it's a really good question. I mean, one is, I'm American, I'm from here. And so I do want to have my place here. But secondly, I'm doing it for my daughter's generation, for the next generation. Because after doing my show, you know, I run into kids who say, you know, I want to be an actor now too. And so that inspiration is really important to give them a pathway to see that it's okay to follow these professions. And it actually is very important for our place in this American fabric.
1: Thanks. Well, um, I could really talk to you guys. For the rest of the day about this um, but unfortunately we're out of time and I just really want to thank you for being here for being out there for being visible uh, for speaking up and for joining us today uh, thank you so much for joining us Daniel Day Kim and Daniel Wu
3: thank you for having us on your platform
2: yeah, no, and I have to say that you're doing the same work. So really, we appreciate you uh, amplifying this issue and, and, and being as passionate about it as we are. And you asked the questions today, but I know you have a lot of answers
3: too. <laughs> Thanks.
1: Well, thank you all for joining us. Um, I will actually be back here on Monday, March 8th, at 3 p.m. Eastern, with uh, for a conversation with author activist Helen Zia and historian Eric Lee, we'll talk about how history and the con- context of the history can inform our understanding of the Asian American and Pacific Islander experience today. So, thank you once again for joining Washington Post Live. I'm Michelle Yehealy. See you next time. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.
0: When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy.